guys, welcome back to another episode of In Enemy Territory. It's me, Maddie, as always, and we got a good one for you today. Now, before we get into it, as always, I would like to give the inspiration for me picking the day when there is one. Um, today is the day I became a dad, February 10th, 2017, uh, one of the biggest days of my entire life, and... Without further ado, let's explore what went down on this day in the sports world. So a little bit of a warning is going to get a little graphic. Uh, We're talking about some pretty bad injuries. And in case you don't want to hear about it, now is a good time to tune out. Otherwise, come along for the journey and let's get into it. February 10th, 2008, Richard Zednick gets cut in the neck by an Oleokinen skate as they skated into the corner, going after a loose puck. Oleokinen gets upended and feet go flying. Richard Zednick, wrong place at the wrong time. Severed carotid artery. Pretty much the worst thing that could happen to you on the ice is to get hit by that open skate. He grabs his neck, skated right to the bench, and you know, thankfully they dealt with it swiftly and got him to the hospital and got him sewn up and crisis averted but for those watching and for those in the stands you know until you get that alert that update from the medical staff that he's doing okay that i can't imagine anything scarier than you know regardless of if you were a fan of the panthers or the the sabers seeing a guy on the ice you know they're humans just like us and to get kicked in the neck and just see a pile of a blood on the ice, the fear in everyone's faces. Man, really scary stuff, which luckily had a happy ending. He was all right. He, he missed the rest of the season. This happened in, in February. He missed the rest of the season, and he came back to play a few more years. Now, ironically enough, we've seen this injury before in the late 1980s. Clint Malarchuk, more famously, as two players came charging in to the net to crash the net, literally, it went wrong with a player skate getting getting kicked up. And right before everyone's eyes, Malarchuk had his carotid artery kicked and his jugular was hanging on by a thread, as the reports later said. And the pool of blood on the ice was much more grotesque than Zednik's. Zednik's was more of like big spurts that were kind of decorating the ice. But Malarchuk's he reached his hand to his throat because that's just a normal reaction. And, and he looked down at his hand and everything's just covered in blood. He even said in interviews later that his first thought was, oh my God, my mom's going to see me die on TV. Which, man, what a horrible thought. And just what a horrible thing to go through. The irony that I found that kind of connects the two injuries is that the weak Richard Zednick returned from that neck injury of the severed carotid artery three days prior to that in 2008. Clinton Malarchuk, who suffered from PTSD from this injury in the late 80s, almost 20 years later, the same week that Zednik came back from his injury, Clint Malarchuk attempted to take his own life by by shooting himself in the chin. 
um, with his girlfriend watching there. He was drunk, and as it came out, it turns out he he suffered um, severe mental illness, partially from before the injury even happened. He had he had he dealt with some stuff, but following the injury for the remaining for the remainder of his career and and his you know regular day to day life after he retired, he 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 was going through hell mentally and was having a real hard time and as a lot of players in professional sports are they're very macho they don't really talk about their problems they're 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 the tough guy they can handle anything they can get through this you know so a lot of players probably do have stuff they need to get off their chest or to talk through but they don't really seek that mental help or even let people know that they're going through something rough the truth is these days I'm pretty sure most professional teams do have sports psychologists on the on the team, and they're doing a great job with mental health awareness in the past ten years. But in the eighties, nineties, it was non-existent. Uh, Clint was suffering, but he survived shooting himself in the face miraculously. Uh, the bullet actually is still lodged in his skull, from what I see, and that's that's nuts. He's still alive. But going through the whole process of recovery, he was he was in a coma, he came out, had to kind of relearn what happened because he was he was drunk and then unconscious for a while. He's done nothing but turn his life around and and work on being uh, outspoken about the the downsides of mental illness and how there's basically a stigma where Obviously, if you have a broken leg, a broken arm, a broken nose, a cut throat, if someone were to look at you, they would see, okay, you're injured, you're hurt, you're in pain, we can fix this. But mental illness, it's in the brain. You can't, you can't see someone else's pain, and you can't measure someone else's pain. And there's no diagnosis. It's on the person to, you know, to really be able to get, get through it on their own and share it and or hide it so he's he wrote a book and he's been working on just spreading awareness to to aid people with mental illness and let them know it's okay to to come and speak speak about it and you know there's no shame in it and he's really just done a wonderful job and really it's really an incredible story how he's how he's turned it around and he, he survived the the gunshot and just really really miraculous and it's a great great ending to a really he he must have gone through some really tough times so a great ending but that's kind of the bloody details and the and then the positive afterwards of these of these two injuries where you know thankfully they both survived it cuz i don't know i don't know how how the game might have changed if you know I can't even think of God forbid, you know, a skate taking someone's life that that's, that's too heavy to think about. So let's, let's move on to talk about today's birthdays. First on the docket, Lenny Dykstra. He was part of the 1986 Mets world series team. Um, the only, the only world series the Mets have ever won. They beat the Red Sox. Um, that was the infamous Bill Buckner error down the first baseline that allowed the Mets to come back and win game six, and then they won game seven, beat the Red Sox. Curse of the Bambino would live on for another 18 years. 
Uh, Lenny Dykstra was an integral part of that team, and he went on to have a pretty nice career with the with the Phillies. Um, but in looking a little further into Len Dykstra's life after baseball, it looks like he's kind of gone completely mental and completely crazy. I'm not going to even talk about what's been going on in this guy's life because it's too wild. But yeah, if you're interested, just Google Len Dykstra, Lenny Dykstra, and have some fun reading some crazy stories. And yeah, feel bad for the guy. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him, but he's he's go he's he's de- he's dealing with something. Today's birthday as well. Ty Law, shortest name in NFL history, three-time Super Bowl champ with the New England Patriots. He hails from right outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, really, really great defenseman. I remember him for just having a lot of interceptions and probably against the Steelers. But integral part of that New England defense that won those three championships in four years in the early 2000s. Another birthday, Lance Berkman. He was part of the Houston Astros team that took a trip to the, the 05 World Series for the Astros' first time making it. They got swept by the White Sox. Uh, Berkman did go on to win a World Series with the Cardinals in 2011 against the Rangers. So the, the power hit, the power hitter we all remember, Lance Berkman, he, he is a champ. And I remember him beating up on my, my Pirates. Last birthday for today, Alex Gordon, also a World Series champion. He has had a very long career with the Kansas City Royals. And... They were always terrible, worse than the Pirates growing up. Like even to the extent that I remember one year that the last team standing that hadn't lost the game yet was the 3-0 Royals, and it was the funniest thing to us. But he stuck it out. He stuck out the garbage years, made it to the glory years. In the mid-2000s, the Royals lost the World Series, won a World Series. Alex Gordon, one of the faces of the team, known for having a crazy pre-game workout session very superstitious very great defensive player in the outfield so happy birthday to these guys other notable things that happened on february 10th in 1961 the la chargers moved to san diego chargers were there for about 50 55 plus years and now they're back in la we got brett hall scoring his 600th career goal. He was the seventh guy to reach it at the time. And Yager on this day scored his 1500th point. And now to move on to our other main topic of the day. February 10th, 2000, the Seattle Mariners trade Ken Griffey Jr. to the Cincinnati Reds for Mike Cameron, Brett Tomko, and two minor leaguers. Now, at the time, Ken Griffey probably put up one of the best decades in sports history where he was the best player in baseball and just doing unreal stuff. He had a he had a three-year stretch where he had 49, 56, and 56 homers with 140, 147, 146 RBI, MVP, yearly regarded as one of the best players in the league. And he just became unhappy with Seattle. They were not really winning. They're having a couple losing seasons. He wanted out. After 10 years, he demanded a trade and kind of soured the locker room. 
And he said that the only place he'll take a trade is Cincinnati, his hometown, and his his father played there. His father was coaching there, and he 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 ended up going to Cincinnati. And at the time, it looked like that was one of the most one-sided trades in history. Imagine Mike Trout getting traded to the Tampa Bay Rays for you know a major league outfielder and a couple minor league like it would just be unheard of. Or imagine uh, Ronald Acuna Jr getting traded you know in the middle of their prime without even showing any signs of decline yet so it wasn't so much a shock at that point because he had been open about about wanting the trade but it was still shocking to really see the return that Seattle seemingly got or didn't get you know the the Reds did a good job of managing to not give up their top top prospects like Pokey Reese but it really looked like the Reds won that trade. And funny enough, you know, 2001 comes. Seattle now has shed themselves of Randy Johnson, A-Rod, and Ken Griffey Jr. They got Mike Cameron, you know, back from the, from the Griffey trade. And they, they had rookie Ichiro Suzuki, the Japanese phenom. And they they had Edgar Martinez, and they brought in a couple pieces. And what did they do? They go and win 116 games to tie the MLB record for most wins in a season. And then make it to the ALCS, which they lost. And since then, they haven't been back to the playoffs. So that's just been like a crazy... Since the Griffey trade, they, they peaked. They went all the way up to the top of the mountain. 116 games, something that had never been done before. And then the magic has been gone for 20 years. I, I don't know what happened. I don't even know what happened. I would have to talk to someone who lives in Seattle to get like a good grip of like what is going on up there. The Reds, on the other hand, probably felt like they scored the, the best trade of all time. They, they got Griffey, best player in the league, didn't give up much. They were already a fringe above 500 team and never made the playoffs with him which is ridiculous. And then, you know, on top of that, which I'm sure is, is a big part of it, Griffey dealt with some of the worst injuries, the most injury-plagued five, seven years that a star player has ever has ever had to go through. And he, you know, I, when 2000 came around and he got traded, he was regarded to be the next one to, to chase Hank Aaron's 755 homers. And... He ended his career with 630, but even so, I was reading an article that they did all these mathematic calculations and, and what-ifs, and he still probably would have only finished around 700. So he really tanked to the second half of his career, which which is understandable. You know, once you're, once you're north of 30 years old, it's really hard to keep doing it. Only a select few players really smack homers the way they did in their 20s like they did in their 30s. I mean, look at Albert Pujols. He he was on pace for 700 homers and now he's he's, you know, he's barely hacking it. Climbing the charts, but he's never going to catch even Babe Ruth in my opinion. But the trade to me between the Reds and the Mariners was it's just kind of funny how I feel like both teams got screwed because Mariners had to, had to basically they were forced out of they were forced into making the trade 
and the return wasn't much. But then fast forward a year, they're winning games like no one's ever seen before. But then the team who got the star player ended up screwed because he was always hurt and they could never win. And and I wonder if his if his locker room swag maybe maybe wasn't the most winningest of of attitudes. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know. So I'm not really going to speculate that, but the the thought does cross my mind that maybe that has something to do with locker room or just, you know, baseball is of all the major sports. Baseball is definitely the one where you can't just win games because you have that one best player. Like basketball, you could kind of, you're not going to win a championship, but you could you could skate into the playoffs just just having one solid player who you can basically build around. Hockey also, you know, if you've got a, a number one center, kind of hard, but like, or if you have that, that's amazing goalie, like Carey Price the other year for Montreal, where he won MVP and the Vezina and every, he dragged the Canadians into the playoffs. Then he got hurt. Um, football also, you got a great quarterback. You're, you're not necessarily going to win the Super Bowl because you got to stop the other team from scoring, but you're in a good situation if you've got that piece solved. But in baseball, I mean, an ace pitcher only pitches once every five days, and a Ken Griffey Jr. only has three at-bats a night, four or five at-bats a night. The ball might not be hit to him. So baseball, for sure, you can't you can't win it with one good guy. So that's why you see people like Ernie Banks never made the playoffs. Ken Griffey Jr. never, you know, he made, he, he went on to make the playoffs by by way of getting traded in 2008 from the Reds to the White Sox. White Sox were really hot. They won the, the AL Central. And they ran into the Rays and lost the, you know, the divisional game and the divisional round in four games. So that's, that's the farthest he ever made it into the playoffs in his career. So really, can't say it's shocking because, like I said, one player can't do it. But you would think that Griffey would have, just for being around so long, he might have had more shots at winning a World Series. But Ken Griffey Jr. still, you know, Hall of Famer, one of the best outfielders and power hitters the game has ever seen. But on that day, it kind of makes you think, like, is it worth teams investing so much in the back half of these star players careers i don't know if the evidence points one way or another but in this case i think i think it's player by player you know and not even talking about injuries um given given the player is going to be healthy you know some of them tail off and some of them take off and some of them just keep out keep out what they were doing and they don't get better or worse for you know four or five more years Griffey, I would have to say that actually, if I had to pick a winner for the trade, I would pick Seattle. But if I if I could pick neither as winners, I would I would I would pick that first because I don't think either team really won the trade. I'm sure the Seattle Mariners lost some fans after kind of messing up the whole situation, and since he was Cincinnati was thrilled to get him, but then their team kind of stunk. So I think they were both losers and. You know, on that day, it definitely looked like the Reds were the winners. But, but looking back, I don't think that was the case. Anyway, enough for today. That's all I've got. If you want to follow the show, I've got an Instagram page at IET Podcast and a Facebook page, facebook.com slash IET Podcast. 
It's been real. Appreciate you guys listening on a weekly basis. We'll see you next time. Thank you.